My brown skin, my big lips, fitting everything that I wear. My round nose, my white ears, giving the texture of my hair. Black beauty is My beauty is My brown skin, my big lips, fitting everything that I wear. My round nose, my white ears. Even the texture of my hair, black beauty is pain. My beauty is pain. The black of the berry, the sweet of the juice, the dark of my skin, I'm more afraid of you. Uh, I've been dreaming about this for a long time. Still wonder why a nigga slept on like a sleep number. Spring jumping like I'm Zach Levine. Cleaning out that trash, I'm better than your favorite rap. It's time to spring clean, pick your ring shine. Hello, world, and welcome to another episode of the Fem Nora Files. How are you, KB and Shook? I'm good. Really? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> I'm coming down from my highs. So I'm good. Yo, high. Mm. You want some gummies? No, I was drinking. I was drinking. I've been drinking. I've, I've been, been drinking. drinking. <laughs> wow. I was celebrating a birthday, so, you know, we went hard. But anyway. Mm-hmm. Speaking of drinking, the drink of the day is my post-brunch drink was tequila and orange juice, which is a tequila Ooh. sunrise. Ooh. So, I'm going to tell you what happened. That shit sounds like, like an alcoholic's drink. <laughs> <laughs> So, I can't drink tequila anymore. Listen, I'm too old for that now. I can't. Well, damn, this, she put it with orange juice. Like I, I know can't. a man that did this. Uh-uh. Go ahead. Go ahead and tell us why how you got caught up in that. Go ahead. I was not trying to drink. So that's the first thing. But I was at the home of one of our mutual friends who happens to be pregnant, and somebody had made an extra drink, an extra tequila and orange juice. This chick <laughs> was like, oh, damn. well, because our other friend was like, well, what do you want me to do with it since it's an extra drink? And she was like, oh, just pour it down the sink. I was like, oh, no. no. We don't waste no. alcohol. That's a violation. We do not waste alcohol. And she was just bitter, of course, because her ass is pregnant and she ah. can't drink. So I took one for the team and I drank it. So that's how we ended up with the tequila sunrise today as the drink of the day. Yeah, you took one for the team, but there's this man that when I grew up uh, that lived in Jacksonville, he was my grandmother's friend. He was an actual alcoholic. I'm going to say that. Um, like all the signs. You were telling me about a few weeks ago? Yes, with the hands. Yes. And, and this is how I learned to drink out of two cups. Like if you see anybody that drinks alcohol out of two cups, they might have a problem. So anyway, like your chaser is in one and your alcohol is in the other. But he drank vodka. I think they drank vodka and then he had okay. his orange juice. And so yeah. when you just said tequila and orange juice, it just made me think about him and him wiping that mustache. I said, he take a, a cup, out, a sip out of each cup? Anyway. Uh, so he does the mixing in his mouth. He doesn't mix it before he swallows it. Yes, and I found hey. myself. Because. Yeah, and I found myself at the moon. And, and shout out to anybody in Tallahassee, Florida that knows what hey, the moon is. Hey, I, hey, <laughs> I found myself in the moon one night doing the same damn thing. <laughs> it wasn't with vodka. It was with another alcoholic beverage. And Which I, was what? 
I think it was probably Brandy. I think I was doing Brandy. Oh, she's oh, real grown. Oh, I was, right. oh, I've been doing this a long time. My liver, my liver enzymes are good. You know, I get them checked every year. But okay. I had that because you know what? I was like, man, I'm. I was drinking. What's that drink called? Um, Armadura. Is it Armadura Sour or how you say it? Like, Amaretta. Amaretta Sour. That, that part. Was my drink. That was my drink. That like, was my drink. I At twenty one when I didn't know no better. <laughs> we- <laughs> Well, you and then when that. you upgraded to a Midori sour, <laughs> nigga. <laughs> I didn't drink the Midori sour. I only drank the Amaretto sour. And so I would drink that. But, yo, you had to get, like, four to five drinks just to get a buzz. Because you know how they be in a club. They're going to water it down. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? Bump this. Like, let me hit a Mr. Campbell. That's what I said. And so I started going to the bar because I was drinking brandy back in high school. I know this. Is, I'm so sorry, everybody. What the I've been hell? Doing this a long time. High school. Yo, high school. So I started drinking brandy probably like my, my junior year in high school. I might have been my senior. I think my junior year. So I was like, let me get this. Let me go back to this brandy because I'm spending too much money at the bar. So I would. I started getting a shot of brandy and a side of coke, and I sit at the bar. And I order an amaretta sour. Like, I had them all at one time. Because you know you got to order all your drinks at one time because the bartender's busy. And I would, you know, take my shot of brandy, follow it up with a little Coke in my mouth, and then get my amaretta sour and walk away. And I was good for the you night. Were doing, you were doing the fucking the, most, the most, but okay. <laughs> the absolute most. Anyway, I'm so sorry I diverged from my drink of the day. <laughs> With my story. Anyway, sorry. So what are, what are we excited about? Well, let me tell y'all what I'm excited about. What you I'm a, about? I am on vacation for the next two weeks. Oh. I'm so, I'm so, so fucking excited. Are you, are you coming to visit? No. Oh. What? Well, hello. You know, part of that, those two weeks vacation, I'm going to be in New Orleans, right? Oh. Hey. Yeah, we hey. both going to be in New Orleans. We are both You need there. to be there. You're slipping mm. hard. I just couldn't but, see you paying like eight hundred dollars for a plane ticket to drink on Bourbon Street. Like I just eight hundred dollars. I told you how much it was if I out of Philly, y'all. That's the oh, only reason I'm not going. Look though, but I feel like because you look too late. <sighs> I'm yeah, you should have took the bus down here and flew out. out of is it worth it though? But is it worth it? Yeah, she could have hung out here for a little while. Touche. That's true. But I'm that's why I'm excited. I'm on I have a two week vacation and I yeah, it's great. Yeah, I'm gonna enjoy myself. All right. Well just make sure you have what is it called? A hurricane. What's that drink? Yeah, a, a hurricane. hurricane. Have yep. a so hurricane we're gonna go down Bourbon Street, Shug, on Friday. You're supposed to be on at Bourbon Street every night. What the fuck is you talking every about? Night. Bourbon Street, every night. Bourbon Street though. No, it's going to be, like, mad crowded. Oh. So should we wait until Sunday night? Are y'all serious? Could... Are y'all no, both serious I mean, well, right now? Hey, y'all embarrassing yeah, me right now, yo. Y'all embarrassing me. Y'all about to get kicked off this you fucking podcast. That's why y'all ass is You hush. You ain't going to be there. I'm going to drink for you, okay? So, no. I mean, we need to go down there at least one night when everybody's out there. But just... No, it's going to be mad thick. It's going to be humid as fuck. It's going to stink. People. Almost white. I'm so I'm so embarrassed right now, um, listeners. Uh, please do not count this as a reflection of the entire podcast. What the hell up? They're supposed right. to be on Bourbon Street please, every look, night. 
please enjoy oh, your buzz. So let me tell you something. Enjoy I got your my buzz. buzz. Going, like, this is not I'm about, a to, I'm about to continue trip. this party at the house. Don't worry about Listen, it. Listen, this is not a pleasure trip. We, there is we work are on business. Exactly. Thank you. There is work to be done. And we're putting <laughs> play stuff in here and there where we can fit it in. This or, is not a full yeah. Wait. Trip. What time is it? Yeah, 6.45 start. Start yes, time in the Thursday. morning. Yeah, right. 6.45. It ain't no damn game. Exactly. And my friend was like, oh, let's do dinner at 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock, Negative. nigga, we got to be somewhere at 6.45 the next day. That's no. why, this is why they need to go. Like, excuses. Hit it. Like, really? The hell up. Uh-huh. Really? What are you excited about? I'm done with KB. You Well, you kind of took what I was excited about. I'm excited about New Orleans. Hey. I'm excited oh, about going to New Orleans. My mommy and my cousin are going to be there. And uh-huh. this is this is my first convention, so I'm excited about that. Woo-hoo. Wonderful. KB, will you, I guess we can ask you what you're excited about. So I'm as... <laughs> I'm excited about, um, I just had a blast. Uh, one of my friends was celebrating her birthday and she had an exercise party, like a dance. And we did like a, my friend is doing that too in like two weeks. She's doing like a kettlebells class or something like that. No, this was a dance one. Anyway, Um, you said fitness. This is a fitness class too. Yeah, kettlebells is serious though. Like, right? You're having fun. I don't know about that. Oh well, I haven't paid my money yet. Should I not go? Again, the opinions of this uh, people on this podcast do not reflect everybody (laughs) on the podcast. We do not all think kettlebells for a a drinking party is fun. Okay, so anyway, sorry. That's just sound dangerous. No, but we have having snacks and drinks. Okay, so we have fun. And we danced to this Beyonce song, and uh, don't ask me the name of it because I don't. It was like pre me liking Beyonce, oh. but it's a popular song. Like it's like oh, killing me softly, and a ten, nine, eight, seven. Oh, you're about countdown. Okay, that one. So it was a lot of fun. We went and it ate beforehand. Either. She does say killing me softly. Uh, yes, yeah, she does. Now, now do it. Do it if you I want. Pull lyrics. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Pull them up. Pull them up. I am. Pull up. I am. I am. Okay. Don't you worry. Story, so, it, thank you. Because yeah. she always interrupted my shit. Like, she's always no, interrupting me. Actually, it's Shug that interrupts you. It's not me. But and then she continues to throw shit the bus. She did this right. shit last week. While I'm looking up the lyrics, killing me softly, oh, and I'm still there. falling. Okay. Thank I you. Corrected. I apologize. I stand corrected. Interrupted okay. me and the bitch wrong. Okay. So anyway. So we have fun. We went and ate it beforehand. It was just a, it was a lot of fun hanging with these ladies. And, you know, we, we brought that birthday in. And um, I'm, I'm just excited about, you know, the next season. I had a great church service. Gave me some more energy. Amen. Amen. I had a great church service, too. Oh, and I'm excited about listening to this J. Cole album. This dream. Yes, Revenge of the Dreamers. Yeah. Part three. Yeah, I'm on the um like eighth song. The motherfucker got 18 tracks on here. It's sounding really good. These guys on here, man, they 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 riding. So I'm excited about that as well. Awesome, sir. So what's happening in the news? Did y'all see that Pharrell awarded 114 seniors from a graduating class internships next year? I did see that. I love Pharrell. I do too. So he was their commencement speaker. 
And during his speech, I mean, he's no, what's the man that gave the scholarship to the boys at Morehouse? Robert Smith. Robert Smith. But an internship is a great head start in the right direction. I mean, plus, high school students really shouldn't have debt. So, you know, such is life. But I think offering them all internships next summer is amazing, right? It just kind of makes you think about how everyone can play a part, whatever part you can play. Mm-hmm. You may Absolutely. not you may not be a billionaire that you can pay off everyone's tuition um, like our brother for Morehouse. However, you may be able to offer internships or you may be able to take someone under your wing. I know, Shug, you talked about that a while ago. So I just thought that was really a nice piece to kind of just highlight that you can just do your part in what you're able to do. So, um, listeners, if you're interested, I've been, you know, thinking about this and really needing some assistance. So if um, any uh, college students that are looking to get into the entertainment business, um, I have some projects that I'm working on that I would love assistance from a marketing standpoint and from publishing standpoint and music standpoint. So if any of those things interest you, uh, please get up at us at femnoirfiles at gmail.com. So, yeah, yeah, do your part. Shout out. Look at you. Trying to get the babies and the people. Let's give them some, let's give them some um, experience. I got KB Productions happening, and I should make that shit official. So let's, let's go. That's awesome. Yeah. So we know a few episodes ago we had trans activists, um, Royce Hall and Tony Michelle Washington, who were guests. And one of the things that the three of us were very concerned about was being an ally to the community. So I saw an article where Laverne Cox was speaking out at World Pride Day celebration, and she was talking about the murders of Black trans women. And she basically was saying that your attraction to me is not a reason to kill me. Um, That's one of the things that she said in her speech. And of course, didn't make a lot of attention as much as I thought it would, but I'm glad that I came across the article. But one thing that she said, which I thought was important, was there's this whole sort of myth that trans women are out there tricking people that they deserve to be murdered, and that's not the case. There's been a market for trans women in the realms of dating and sex work for a very long time, she added. We don't have to trick anyone. I think at the time of the recording, nine Black trans women had been killed in 2019. Yes. And as of the date of this article, which was at the end of June, that number had risen to 11. So it's just super sad, but I'm glad that she used that platform to speak out against the the killings and the injustices that are going on against Black trans women. And her comments were similar to what I feel like Roy said as well, as far as yes. not being, you know, these, these men that are doing this oftentimes, they're not necessarily being tricked. So, and that was, I think, you know, something that is said amongst the community and in, in trying to justify this. So I thought it was really important that someone like Laverne Cox is also saying the same thing that just really highlights the importance of us continuing to have this discussion. And Elle, as you said, I mean, this was just a few weeks ago we had that episode. Um, please check that out, guys. Uh, it's called Pride Against Prejudice. So mm-hmm. please uh, check that episode out. I think it's episode, I want to say six, but um, just check mm-hmm. it out. And, uh, you know, just again, for us to continue that conversation and just, you know, I think in the article, it also mentioned about we assist women having that conversation amongst our men. Um, so mm-hmm. that right. kind of, you know, and I thought that was important. It was so funny. I was playing a game with someone. It was these cars, these dating cars that you can have. 
and we were asking each other questions. And one of the questions that came up was about, you know, what would you do if, and it was something like if your mate liked somebody, I don't know if they had ever been with somebody at the same second, something like that. And you guys, I like asked the question, but in such a like open way where I tried to make it like, it's okay if you know, if you've done this before, um, because I didn't want it to be like, bitch, you better not say Judgmental. yes. You know what yeah. I mean? Cause right. I felt like if I did that, then you might not be receptive. It would discourage somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. From having right. an open conversation. So he said no. But um, I wanted to, you know, just still ask the question and, again, make it like it was okay. So I think that's, to me, that's kind of like us having those conversations and making it more norm so that people don't feel like they have to, like, lie and do extra shit just to, you know, make themselves appear differently. So, yeah. Any any thoughts from you, Shook? I'm just happy Laverne Cox represented. She's from Mobile. I love her. <laughs> and she went to my high school. Oh, Lord. <sighs> she did. No, but um, <laughs> no, but I'm glad that we're having the conversation, especially in the African American community, because I feel like in our community we are very into the church and into the Bible, and mm-hmm. if you are not heterosexual, then you are automatically shunned. And I'm glad that we're unless you're the to- choir director. Right, and I'm like, you know, if you're gay, it's acceptable in certain contexts, but it's like, okay, you could be, like you said, you could be in charge of the choir. But, but we don't want to know you're gay. Like, right. we don't, don't bring, want to see don't your bring mate. Your boyfriend. Right, like, we don't want to see don't your Don't bring mate. your husband, don't bring your wife. Exactly. Like, you, you talk about having children, and we don't want to know. Like, it's just keep it on the hush. Right. It's funny, I was watching Death at a Funeral the other day because I'm on vacation and do y'all remember that movie with Martin Lawrence and Chris Rock and Columbus Short and y'all never saw that no so it was a remake of like a it was a British movie and white actors were in the original one but this one was freaking hilarious so not to give too much of the plot away but Danny Glover plays Chris Rock and Martin Lawrence's uncle. And he, in talking about one of the characters that's in the movie, he says, oh, I always thought that there was a little sugar in his tank. And we know in the Black community mm-hmm. that that means... We know that means you're gay. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. So that's just made me think about that. Um, did y'all hear about or read the Kendrick Sampson article that he... Um, did with Teen Vogue, where he talked about how he was shunned growing up because he liked dating darker-skinned women. Um, I didn't see the article. I didn't get a chance to read it. I did see people post about it. And I do remember, like, when we were younger, it would seem like there was kind of a hierarchy of who would get the most attention as far as like, you know, people having crushes on you. So it would be like the light skinned girls with the long hair or mm-hmm. at the, the top of the totem pole. Then you got the light skinned boys with like the curly hair or the good hair. Then, you know, the darker you got, it was kind of like the less attention or the less desirable you were. Right. So I do, I can kind of see where he's, coming from which you know i think is sad but unfortunately we're still dealing with colorism 
right. know, even today. So, so, so I'm going to read part of the article for you guys from Kendrick Sampson. And for you all that don't know listeners, he is the little cutie patootie that was on how to get away with murder and played Easter A's love interest on uh, last season's insecure. He said, essentially it is white supremacy forcing itself into our communities. Even when no white people are present, Samson said, I was taught not to like dark-skinned girls and was made fun of for liking them and dating them. Samson, whose mother is white and father is black, continued speaking about problems he encountered because of his lighter complexion. I was told I look better because I have lighter skin, but then lighter skin is seen as weaker and less threatening in our culture. So I ran into a lot of problems with that. It teaches us to hate ourselves and each other. And to me, it's just amazing how years after slavery and Jim Crow and the civil rights movement, that colorism, because Kendrick is only 31 years old. So even after all of these things that have happened, that colorism is still an issue today in our culture. I think it's always going to be an issue. So, like, you know, they dispute whether or not the Willie Lynch letter, you know, is legit or whatever. But I do think that there is a lot of truth in that document. Like, a lot of the things that took place in slavery, everything was very strategic because they knew that generations later here we are, it's 2019, and we're still dealing with these issues. Like, we're quote-unquote free. However, you know, I feel like African-Americans as a community, we're still not together. There's still a lot of infighting. We're still at the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to, like, our rights. I think there was an article published not too long ago that due to discrimination with housing, there have been, like, billions of dollars taken away from us just because, you know, we're Black. So oh, absolutely. But going back to what you said, Chuck, because when I started teaching African-American history a few years ago, like, looking at this text and reading and trying to, you know, get my own knowledge up, one of the reasons, even though I think I knew some of this before, but one of the reasons why white people chose more African slaves was so that we would be easier to identify. Because, you know, initially they had indentured servants. So part of the issue was, you know, after they served their time, they were free to leave. But then also some of them did run away. So it's like, you know, the slave owners lost money, they lost revenue, and you had Black people, they're like, oh, let's just continue the slave trade with Africa because we can get these Africans and they're easier to identify if they were to run away. I think these are all interesting points, and I would say that, you know, and I I know we'll kind of get into this with the conversation and our guests that's coming on, Mm -hmm. but me even growing up in a household where I'm the brown one, right? (laughs) And my sister was of a lighter tone. Some things are not even necessarily stated, but you feel a certain way. And yeah. I didn't become mm-hmm. a little comfortable until later. And even my daughter being of a little bit of a lighter tone, my ex-husband is super light. So, you know, I think it's just one of those things that, you know, a lot of the things we might put on ourselves. But I think that's from, like you say, some of those history things that are kind of bred into us. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, and some things that are outstated. So they're, they're, you know, right out people say them. So, you know, I, I, I even hear a little comments about my daughter that I think are slightly ridiculous. But, you know. Again, really? Yeah. Like from other people, like making little comments like, oh, she's going to be better off because she's lighter. I'm like, the fuck? Oh, the fuck? Like, hey, that shit is not real. For real? Yeah. 
But you know what? But I know that they it got it. Shock me though. Yeah, I'm just saying, and, and that's why yeah. I didn't even like get in on it. You know what I mean? I'm like, no, she's gonna be treated just like the rest of the black right. kids. You know what I mean? And, so exactly. Like, let's then, not get this shit confused. Like, she's still black, <laughs> and she still look real black. So let's not even. You know, right. go there, but I mean, you you would be amazed how some people seriously have these these thoughts. So I mean, it's a real thing. It's a yeah. total real thing. But I just I think this is a great segue in us introducing our guest tonight. I mean, I'm super excited. Ooh. You guys, I know y'all are super Yay. excited. Very excited. She's we love fabulous. Her. Fabulous, wonderful. She's very precious to all of us. Yes. Yeah, literally. I love her. <laughs> right. Literally. <laughs> so I just wanna, you know, at this time, let's welcome Dr. Kimberly Brown Pelham. She is a principal historian and creative director of the Museum of Black Beauty with a terminal degree in United States history from Howard University. Dr. Kimberly H U. Dr. Kimberly you know. Dr. Kimberly Brown specializes in the history of women's images, Southern culture, and the Black freedom struggle. Her contributions to publicly accessible history include work at the Smithsonian Institution's National Museum of American History, the Rosa Parks Museum, and Google's Arts and Cultural Series. She is currently a member of the graduate faculty at Texas Southern University and the author of not one, but two children's books. One being Queen Like Me, the, the story of girls who changed the world, which my daughter absolutely loves and goes and grabs the books and just reads it on her own now. But she got it when she first, you know, could not read. So now she's reading. So she reads it on her own. And then the second book, Superhero Like Me, The True Champions Who Changed the World. In addition to being an author, and as we stated before, a PhD graduate of the Howard University, we have to say where her roots came from. She did earn her bachelor's degree in public relations at the Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University, the university on the highest of seven hills. Now let's Woo! welcome Dr. Kimberly Brown Pelham. Yay! Woo! We're excited. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey. Hey. Hi, girl. And, and I would like to add, I have two degrees from FAMU. Oh. I know that's right. Oh, mm. I'm I'm cat as hell right now. Sorry. So what's your master's in? So I am a graduate of FAMU's Masters of Applied Social Science, oh, which has been that. recently ranked only number three behind Princeton and Yale for African American studies. Baby, educated, baby, educated, boo. And you know, I think that list is flawed anyway. Princeton and Yale shouldn't be nowhere on the list for no African American studies, but I digress. <laughs> they went and got all the black scholars to, you know, get on the on the uh, panel, right? I'm sure that's how that happens. Oh, uh, so, Dr. Pello, I'm so happy that you are here with us today. We're really going to try to keep this in a succinct time limit because we can talk about colorism for days. So in any event, the first question that we have for you is, tell us a little bit about your dissertation. If you could tell us about your history with studying colorism, with studying Black beauty, and how this became of interest to you. So when I was completing my master's at FAM, I actually um, 
wrote and researched about the history of our sorority, um, Delta Sigma Theta, as it was chartered on FAMU's campus. And in doing so, of course, I came across um, issues related to colorism. And by the time I got to Howard, I wanted to make sure that whatever I was studying was something that I would be interested in for the long haul. Um, so often when it comes to the history of African-Americans, if it ain't Dr. Martin Luther King and civil rights, people do not consider it real history. And I, I just disagree with that notion. There are so many fun, interesting, juicy areas of, of our past that I think deserve more attention. And so um, that combined with my own interest in women's images and identity, um, I decided to focus on African-American beauty queens. And I love sparkles. I love fun stuff. And I also enjoy the idea of tracking our experiences in this country through um, sort of an alternative lens outside of the traditional narrative. Um, so in studying African-American beauty queens, of, of course, colorism, hair texture, um, and other interracial issues became central to my study. Awesome. So when we think about the, the history of colorism and where it started, is it safe to say that it started in America during slavery? Like, is that a fair assessment? Sure. Um, I think so. Um, I would even go as far as saying that um, colorism and racism emerge um, parallel to one another. Um, one certainly influences the other. I just left Monroeville, Alabama, which is my mother's hometown. It's a rural area in Alabama. And um, long story short, my mother's great-grandfather is a white, or um, was a uh, white Confederate soldier. Oh. And um, he took on <clears throat> with a Black woman who was also of Native American heritage. That said, my mother and her family tend to be less melanated people with... Um, weaker hair structure. Uh, <laughs> and as we talk about colorism, a lot of people, you know, sort of write it off as something that's not serious. You know, this sort of, you know, we have bigger mm -hmm. fish to fry. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it, it's very serious. And I share the, the story of one of the, the members of my family, his name was uh, Jim Tucker, and I share his story only because he was a white, successful farmer in Monroeville, and because of that, he was able to deed my family a great deal of land. And as a result of those deeds, my family tended to do um, significantly better than perhaps other African-Americans in that rural town where people share, you know, people were obviously um, enslaved, but also um, <coughs> engaged in sharecropping, um, which for my family um, wasn't fortunately um, something that they had to do because of the land that was given to them. And with land comes money, with money comes opportunity. Um, you sort of know how that goes. And so colorism then isn't something that we can brush off as sort of this um, 
topic that doesn't require, you know, some serious attention um, because indeed it speaks to um, the privileges that we associate with whiteness in this country, land ownership um, and access to opportunity. And But how do you think that we should react to it? So I'll tell you, I, I shared a story earlier about my daughter and a friend of mine who made comments um, about my daughter being able to be a little bit better off as she goes through school because she's of a lighter skin tone, which I brushed off as, no, she's still a brown girl. She looks real brown. She's not like super light. That's not, you know, going to be her reality. I brushed it off as a, no, I'm not going to play into that, right? Because she doesn't need to play into that. And that's not how we're going to be in this house, right? But is that the right way to do that? Like, did I respond correctly? What would you have recommended? Because it it is a real thing where people really literally think that somebody who is not super light can still have a better, some kind of options. I don't know. I I just thought that that's not a thing. All of us are brown. And when white people look at us, or I call them colonizers, when colonizers look at us, they look at us all as brown people or black people. Is that not the right thing to think about? Um, I think you're right. And I think that um, it's so multi-layered, right? <laughs> um, it's not one thing. It's so many different things um, for different people, especially depending on where you are. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're from the South, and mm-hmm. so it takes on a different meaning um, in different spaces. My aunt, um, I have an 80-year-old aunt who uh, we just visited. Um, she's Part of my mother's family, um, very light skinned, dark, dark. She's 80 years old with the blackest hair, no grays. Um, and I would attribute yeah. that probably to um, some of that Native American heritage. Um, but anywho, she um, she uh, swiped my daughter's hair. My daughter's only 10 months old. And she said, um, I guess we'll be all right, sort of commenting on the possibility of her having what a lot of people call a decent grade of hair, right? Um, So anyway, um, to to answer your question, I think that because it's so multi-layered in that way, it's not just about color, but it's also about hair complexion. Mm -hmm. It's also about sort of social caste, right? Mm -hmm. Um, When you talk about... uh, I'm, I'm trying to be mindful of the time. And so I'm trying to address multiple things at once. Um, but as you ask this question, what parts of this do you address? My response is you have to address all of it. Um, mm-hmm. And that is why history is so important because history allows you to look at things from a much broader lens. And what I mean by that is when you look into the history of Delta Sigma Theta, Alpha Kappa Alpha, um, Girlfriends, the Lotus Club, these old organizations that date back um, to the turn of the century that had color codes to just speak mm-hmm. very, very plainly. Mm-hmm. What you find is not always when you look at the old images were there um, groups that were just light-skinned people. Mm-hmm. Right. And the reason why you find some mixing in is because perhaps this person was the daughter of a prominent politician. And mm-hmm. so they would make these exceptions depending on social caste, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so when you ask, you know, well, my daughter isn't necessarily very light-skinned, so will she receive these privileges? Well, you have to ask another set of questions. Well, is her mom a pharmacist? You know, how many Black girls can 
make that claim, you know, is her mom college educated? And so to what extent does her social circle affect some of the privileges that she may or may not have? And so color is just one ingredient in a larger um, recipe in how we define identity. And so there's been <laughs> this trend, I'm, I'm sure all of you all are familiar with it, especially um, with you having supported my book, Queen Like Me, where there's this plethora of children's books that deal with image, you know, mm-hmm. I love my hair, I love my coils, I love my skin. Girl, we got um, them all, I know. right. so many titles, right? But one of the things that I'm most proud about my book, um, and I'm even more proud now that I have a little girl, is that we don't really even deal with the issue directly in that way, in the pages, <laughs> you know, what makes you a queen like me is the historical narrative, um, the leadership, the right. challenges that these individuals faced and how they got over, you know, and, you know, my husband, who is an amazing designer and his illustration team, they, you know, had the kinky hair, they had the beautiful black crowns and um, different body shapes. So we do address image in that way. But I I think when you limit it to just looks, you're really not addressing some of the contextual issues that colorism deals with. Um, it's political. Um, mm. It's also very much so religious. Um, when you talk about early African-American churches, there are instances where a comb was hung over the door. And if you could not slide through that comb upon entrance, you were not welcome. There are so many um, layers and components to this. Um, My answer to your original question would be to introduce history to our children so that they aren't confused. You know, mom, I'm I'm not light, right? But they're saying I'm light. I think history helps to answer some of those questions because to them, you are. To this group, you might not be. Um, They see you as privileged because of this or that. And so it's really layered. And I, I think any education is better than none. So I think you're doing the right thing in starting a conversation with oh, your yeah. child. We definitely have conversations about it. I know one day she even said to me, mom, you're darker than me. And, mm-hmm. um, and this, I mean, literally she was probably like three or four when she did this one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the time I asked husband, we kind of just looked at each other. We didn't know what to say. And then he said, because I, I think I was just stuck. I didn't know what to say. And he said to her, well, is that a bad thing? She says, no. So mm-hmm. I think it was just something she mm-hmm. realized that, you know, right. I'm, you know, darker than her. And I was just like, we kind of both looked at each other like, thank God. Like, you know, we didn't know how to react. And, and, and one thing I'll say, too, and I don't know if this is really a case, it almost seems like colorism might be amongst us more so. Because I was saying earlier, I feel like, you know, colonizers just look at us as being black. Like, we're all black. Now, I know that there are some privileges that you know from slavery time where certain people are in the house versus the field but I kind of think about it today as though we all black and we can all get shot I know that's a bad thing to say but that's just like reality I, I don't know but should, you know what I'm going to address that yeah um, that's mm-hmm. such a myth okay. um, and I feel like we've got to really re-educate our children around this whole field Negroes versus house Negroes mm-hmm. slavery was about money Right, man. True. If you got here many times by way of a rape, Mm -hmm. then what makes you think 
Right. That even though he might be your biological father, what He's makes you think black. Yep. that there was some sort of privilege associated mm-hmm. with you being his child? Now, did that occur? Yes. Did it occur as frequently as people make it out to be that if you were the master's child, you got certain privileges? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. That, that labor was you were still a slave. Exactly. And labor was based on the needs of that plantation, not based on the master's personal relationship with his Negroes. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Teach us, baby. Go ahead, doc. Right. Well, I, I wanted to say, like, I know we're talking about African-Americans, but I think, and I know we said we didn't want to talk too much about international, but I saw it even when I was living in South Korea, because the first time I met my wife's boss and you know she's korean the first thing that she said your to wife's me was, boss oh, sorry my boss's wife and um <laughs> the good catch thank you i had missed anyway, that go so, ahead come on because i was like wait did i miss something my bad but the first the very first thing that she said to me and i'll never forget this is that you're darker than me oh my god i'm glad that you're darker than me so it was just kind of like oh. i've never met you but seeing it, it's a thing no she's korean but oh. i noticed when i was living over there they would walk around with umbrellas because they didn't want to get darker i think even even in brazil and india you know, you see a certain type of people being publicized in ads, but however, a lot of them are darker than us. Yes. But you wouldn't know that until you went over there. So it's not just a black thing, it's a it's an international thing. But I think that's why the term um, that keeps being evoked here, colonizer, is important. Um, because yes. the same, the same uh, methods of control yes. um, that they institute mm-hmm. in one place in the world, they institute in other places as well. And so you see some of those same effects. Right. Yep. So I think going into, because we know that a lot of places, like even outside of America, use European standards or European looks as a standard of beauty. And also, Dr. Pelham, with you being a former pageant queen and beauty queen, and even with the project that you're working on now, like how does colorism affect the beauty world? Oh, wow. Um, That's such an amazing question. And I'm I'm glad you asked because it definitely speaks to my research. I want to address it in two parts. First one I'll address very quickly. One reason that I love black spaces, particularly historically black colleges and universities are, you know who's going to be queen from year to year. It's going to be a black girl. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so you don't have to worry about whether or not there is representation in that space. There's always representation in that space. Certainly colorism has um, infected that space. Um, We would be, you know, just avoiding the truth if, if we didn't say that. But I think particularly now, as people tend to embrace this idea of being woke and conscious. And and certainly there have been waves, you know, throughout the 80s, early hip hop, you know, the My Black is Beautiful uh, movement. We've seen African-American spaces embrace um, darker hues. In fact, if you visit the Museum of Black Beauty and look in some of the archives that we have, you find very early, I'm talking about the 1940s and 30s, images of darker-skinned women being represented as homecoming queens at various Mm -hmm. Black colleges. So for that reason, 
And, and you'll also find that like in your jet magazines, um, mm-hmm. early black publications. My husband's walking in here. Sorry about that in- interruption. We're actually working on a coloring book that is a as a partner um, to Queen Like Me. So it's a Queen Like Me coloring book. Y'all getting the first thing. I was going to say, we just yes. got this. <laughs> we got this. Yes, exclusive. <laughs> yes, exclusive. Open more files. Yes. I'll give y'all another piece of tea. Never have sexual relations with your designer because he does no. not get things to you on time. Oh. <laughs> he doesn't respect you as a client. Oh. Um, this is something that we've been working on um, for a while. But no, he's he's good. Um, he was just showing me one of the, the illustrations. Anywho, um, you find darker-hued women being represented in uh, Jet Magazine, Our World, which is a precursor to Ebony Magazine, Color Magazine, Tan Magazine. All of these really? are um, periodicals and um, what they call glossy mags, these lifestyle magazines that were starting to be published in the 1930s. And certainly you would find Lena Horne on the cover, um, but you could also find Josephine Baker on the cover as well. And so um, this is why um, Black institutions, be they media or universities, are important. The second answer to your question about pageantry and whether or not colorism finds its way into that space is, is yes. I'll start with the history of Miss America. It was a business. It was meant to bring um, commerce to Atlantic City, which was a very sleepy town in the 19, at the turn of the century and up until um, 1920, there was not the famous boardwalk that we associate with it now. And businessmen thought that it would bring tourism and commerce to the area by having a bathing beauties contest. And so in 1920, Miss America launched. And up until as late as 1940, it was known for having its famous uh, or infamous uh, rule number seven, which stated that you had to be white and in good health in order to participate. And your application was actually looked more favorably upon if you could show ancestry back to the Mayflower. So in other words, the wider you could prove yourself to be, um, the better chances you had to perform in the Miss America pageant. And so you didn't see Black participants. Now, I told you it started when? 1920. You don't see Black participation until 1970. So 50 years of this being sort of a a lily white business tool for Atlantic City. Certainly by the time you see African Americans participate, colorism, um, I don't know if I don't know that it it would be 100% truthful to say that the organizers sought out light-skinned Black women as participants, but I think we would be being honest if we said that there was an unspoken rule that, of course, you were not going, if we have 50 years of it being all white, you were not going to see um, a chocolate sister be represented as the first 
African-American contestant in the same way that you're not going to see your first African-American president look like Wesley Snipes. It's just not going to happen. I Um, I would go further in saying that um, we had some of us offline had um, a conversation about Stacey Abrams and her run for governor. Mm, I absolutely believe that a lot of the opposition to her, particularly among African-American women, had a lot to do with how she looked um, Mm -hmm. in terms of her weight, her hair, and her color. So those things are are certainly factors in how we calculate beauty in this nation. But I think, going back to what you said about Miss America, because I'm thinking about the first African-American winner, which was Vanessa Williams, and how she was fair-skinned. She had blue eyes and brownish blonde hair. And then also her second runner-up, Suzette Charles, was also white-skinned and was biracial. Why do you, so, why do you know that? Why do you know who the runner-up is? She looked it up. Oh. Um, well, researched it. Well, because well, one, when the scandal and happened she lost the the and she lost her title... Right. Suzette Charles was the runner-up, and she became Miss America, I think, for like a month or two until the mm-hmm. next pageant happened. Right. But also, I y'all know, know I know a lot about pop culture, so I you didn't know that. that was a scandal. Like it was the you didn't know a, that they, they they apologized to her only like two or three years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause she got tricked by this. Yeah. So her pic- her new pictures appeared in Penthouse. Oh, I know about that. Crowned. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay, I yeah, didn't know about so, it. Sorry, okay. guys. Yeah. Okay. You know I'd be on delayed response. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so I think even, like, we've, of course, have discussed colorism historically, but even, like, how we see it now in 2019, especially with the, and I'm thinking about the lyrics from the Chris Brown song that just came out. And the lyrics that he said. Well, so, I didn't. Can, can you? I heard people was upset, and somebody came to his rescue. It was Ava DuVernay came to his. Kelly, Kelly, Kelly Rowland. Kelly Rowland, the most chocolate girl we know. What, what did he it? say? I don't really, you know, mess with Chris Brown too, too hard. Um, but I what did he like say? Him. Can somebody? So the lyrics were, or the lyrics are. I'll leave a paper trail, then I'm going to need a tip drill. Shaking it, turn the lights down, bust it for the light bill. Digging it, then I'm licking all on that pussy, put it right there. Only want to fuck the black bitches with the nice hair. Oh. Yeah. That's enlightening. Yeah. I can't stand that good hair ass shit. Oh, Dr. Brown, well, I need you to say some shit on that. Oh, I hate that shit. Wait a second. But wait a second, before Dr. Pelham responds, this is what his response was on social media. He said, y'all tripping, tripping. Y'all bitches don't want to fuck with the nigga with the fucked up teeth, do you? And then he said, only bitches upset is the uglies, not the black queen. But he has yet to date a black queen. Can we just say that? No, like, fuck out of here. Let's just be honest about it. What? I think that's part of it. He's so, attracted right, to so, white-skinned women with, right. or mixed women Consider with exotic. long, straight hair. Right. Yes, who are exactly. Exotic. Yes. That's his type. Right. Oh, this bitch might have to get canceled. All right, go ahead. He's been canceled. What you mean? No, I, I spin his music. I he's spin been, his music. He's, shit. He, for me, he was canceled after that Rihanna shit so yeah, that's just not me. for me he's been canceled I'm not saying that two wrongs make a right but I definitely believe that they were hitting each other yes. I mean could be 
but he's not saying too much. Think of right. Now. Yeah, not not agreeing yeah. with it, but I think yeah, he was I young. Think he was back then, but he's canceled now. <laughs> but also, I think Chris got some issues. He does. First of all, he's been arrested. He was arrested in D.C. when he was here for a concert a few years ago. I'm sorry, we're getting off topic. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> not. Because also, Chris Brown, in his own right, is what we call, would call back in the day, high yellow, right? Yeah. So, and I'm not caping for him at all. I think he's a hot, hot mess. But I also think that when you're a child star, mm-hmm. your mind... Your mind is done for. And I think he showcases that in many, many ways. Mm-hmm. I think he's a talented brother. Yes. But I also think that he struggles with some real mental issues. Yeah. Okay. Well, which he's, you know, which he's admitted to. Okay, go ahead. Now, that brings up a question because, okay, like we said, he's fair skinned. But do you think that a darker skinned man would be given the same chances in the same way? to speak out because I'm like, okay, Bobby Absolutely not. No. I went on a tirade and he was canceled immediately. Exactly. Exactly. So why is it that the fairer skin you are, the more chances you get to slide for your bad behavior, but if you're dark skin, it's over for you. But I think that goes um, into how color is looked at in American media. I apologize, Dr. Helen. No, you're good. I think you're absolutely right. Um, media is one thing, but also I just want to, of course, get back to the history of it. The term fair skin and what that stems from. Fair means beautiful. <laughs> That's um, what fair means. And so when we when we evoke that term, we're reinscribing these historical meanings associated with complexion. Um, and unfortunately, we haven't divorced ourselves from that. As woke as we say we are, you know, we have a lot of work to as we talk about mental trauma, slavery, Jim Crow, and every other form of oppression that we've experienced in this nation really deserve some true therapy. The the big thing everybody's discussing in the news, particularly in the political arena right now, is reparations. And aside from financial reparations, I think Black people ought to get free therapy, the healing process, some history, some some coursework, as well as some, some mental therapy, because we've yet to divorce ourselves from a lot of this stuff. And I also want to go back to um, Chris Brown's language and mm-hmm. you know the evoking of words. Not only does he say nice hair, I find it interesting that everybody's upset about him using that term, but the term before he said the bitches mm-hmm. with the nice hair. Right. Nobody, I have mm-hmm. not seen one person on the internet be upset with that. Mm-hmm. And I think that, again, we have to look at things comprehensively as opposed to a singular lens. And so when you talk about terms like bitch and black women, it is directly tied to the history of those terms and how black women have been seen and treated throughout their existence in this nation. Black ugliness, so when you talk about good hair, and and I'll just sort of speak plainly here, right? It is necessary to convince people that thugs exist. 
if you're going to fill up a prison. You gotta make people believe mm-hmm. that a prison exists. Mm-hmm. In that same way, Black ugliness is a necessary pillar in the European power structure. You have to make people believe that Black people are ugly physically and behaviorally, because what it does is rationalize their oppression. If you can make people believe that they deserve it, they're on the lowest rung. Not only are they not attractive physically, but they are unattractive human beings in terms of how they behave and how they exist in the world. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it is okay to enslave them. It is okay to strip them from educational opportunities. It is okay to block them from the vote. It is okay to herd them into to criminal facilities. If you can convince the world that they are deserving of that. And so, um, you know, ugliness is necessary. Um, You have to have ugly in order for people to have some sort of comparison to what is beautiful and what is worthy. And so I think even though it's just a, a, a tiny lyric in a song, He's really scratching at the surface of something that's much deeper. Um, Black women as Jezebels, necessary. Mm -hmm. That that is a necessary invention. Why do we need to believe that Black women are whorish? Well, if you're going to create a free labor base and rape them in order to do so, Mm. then convince the world that they are whorish and deserving of this kind of sexual assault. And so when you use bitches and that kind of language, um, you really speak into a whole history of taking Black women with with a, a negative depiction. I'm going to stop calling yeah. you a bitch. Uh, you just yeah. spoke a word. Thank you. I'm going to stop using that word. Thank you, Katie. <laughs> Because you had just spoken a word over all of our lives. Like you did. Like, Hallelujah. Right. Where's the collection plate? Oh, hush. <laughs> I for real. No. No, because I was like, yo, stop calling me an N-word. I'm right. an African queen. Like, that's what I be telling her on the podcast. Right. And I said, nigga, please. I'm going to start using the N-word. I am. And I'm reformed for y'all just so damn unsisterly. But it's okay. I'm just, yeah, yeah. we just talking about how we turned a new leaf and you still have a negative attitude. What are we doing? I just said y'all, I just said y'all were unsisterly, but I'm, I'm not worried about that for showing them the life. <laughs> Thank you. And just congratulate. Let's move forward. How about exactly. that? So, so is there anything else that we, any other questions that we have for Dr. Pelham? Cause I feel like we could be here for days. Yeah. I definitely need a part yeah. too. I feel like, yeah, I mean, we need to have a, she's a, a wealth of knowledge to this. Cause yeah. there's, there's so much that, that we need to talk about. So yeah, we have to do a part two. Fun fact. It ain't really a fun fact, but before we wrap up, I, I just want um, your listeners to think about this before I even go there. I've told one of you this, but not all of you. This is so exciting. I'm so proud of the three of you and um, what you're doing. I think it's super phenomenal and I'm inspired by it. And thank you for having me. And I want your listeners to sort of rest on these realities as we think about colorism, Chris Brown, and um, how we deal with our children around the topic. When white, so the 1920s is, you know, sort of the era of performance. 
and razzle dazzle, you know, mm-hmm. all the boring twenties. Yeah, people are drinking underground and drugging and prostituting and all kinds of stuff. And so, being a chorus girl was a whole industry um, when you talk about beauty on display. And white chorus girls of the 1920s, when they wanted to tease audiences with a more erotic performance, they would paint their faces brown to signify a naughty sexuality of a black woman in contrast to the wholesome beauty of an American girl, so to speak. And also you had instances where Time Magazine, I want to say in 1938, talked about how um, Josephine Baker was an ugly um, buck-tooth wench who essentially was undeserving of the attention that she was gaining in Paris. Mm. And so... As we think about ugliness, I think it's important to sort of track the historical um, touchstones of what that means, particularly as it relates to color. Um, you, One of you mentioned that um, you hate the term nice hair. It's really a miscalculation of what it means to have straighter hair because so many of our ancestors got straight hair or straighter hair um, as a result of rape. Right. Mm-hmm. I refu- we refuse to acknowledge where this stuff comes from, right? Mm-hmm. Like, or, um, or, so- or, Dr. Oh. But Dr. Pella, what about the people who literally go and have babies from people because they want a certain type of look or a certain type of hair? Like, those people really do exist out here. Sick as shit, mm-hmm. but they exist. Mm-hmm. That, um, but again, I would say it's because we have divorced ourselves from understanding where that stuff comes from. Like we have no idea. Most people, and I, you know, I'll put it on the record. My hair ain't the kinkiest. Um, it's curly, and so a lot of people comment on my hair. That hair, hair like you, you got good hair, yada yada yada, and. You don't know, and thank God this is not my story. I'm not saying that it is, but you don't know if that's a result of rape. You don't mm-hmm. know what you're caught. You don't know. You just right. don't know. Um, and so I think we've got to commit ourselves to remembering the past and really immersing ourselves in that. Rosa Parks was very, very light skinned, and she talked about her her grandfather hated looking in the mirror because mm-hmm. their light skin and their hair was a reminder of the. Mm-hmm sexual assault that their family had been under as a result of slavery. And so we we attach, you know, good hair and light skin to positive meanings. Um, But when you understand history, that's not the case. So we've got to re-educate ourselves. Absolutely. And we are so glad that you are here to educate us, Dr. Bellum. Thank you you for inviting me. I really Absolutely. Thank you for coming and accepting the invitation. So where can people find you on social media? So I'm at the History Consultants on Instagram. Um, That's sort of my primary social media vehicle. And I also have two websites, thehistoryconsultants.com and the the museumofblackbeauty.com, which deals with my work on uh, women's images and identity in America. Quick question. Are you doing any work? Um, We were talking about, you know, our DNA and, um, you know, I've done it with Mm. through African ancestry and I know L, you said you wanted to do your uh, I'm about testing. To. You you were supposed to do that to do two weeks tonight. ago. That was two weeks I know. ago. Actually, just a week. Get it right. Okay, fine. Whatever. Thank you. 
Anyway, so are you doing any work in helping people to trace back? And I feel like this was a conversation we had some years ago when you were just coming out of with your PhD. Is this something that you're still doing? Can people reach out to you for services like that in order to retrace their history roots? mm -hmm, We do all kinds of uh, historical consulting. So anything from writing, family reunion, planning, all sorts of things. And we do have a genealogist on our team. Um, I would call myself a specialist in genealogy, but one of our team members is. um, Wait, wait. You didn't hear this. Y'all, pause. Wait, let's just... Can you just say these services again? Because I don't think right. people know. We, we do private tours. We do um, writing. A lot of publishers come to us to um, help us construct their narratives. Um, we're working on a book right now um, for kids about Black women in science. So I'm really excited Yay! about that. Um, of course they love that. <laughs> yes! Um, and y'all will be happy to know that Dr. Renee Gordon is one of the three <gasps> women. Um, so yeah, we do it all. Um, and we do genealogy. And one of the things that I'd like to say about the importance of genealogy is we deal with real records. Um, when you talk about DNA kits, although I guess they can bring some sort of, I guess, I don't know if it's clarity that people are looking for, but to me, it's not quite as valuable as genealogy work for a couple of reasons. Uh, DNA tests are really sort of a guessing game because number one, you're only dealing with matrilineal lineage. Um, Number two, over the course of time, lines on a map change, right? Mm -hmm. And there's actually no way to really associate blood type with a particular place in the world. It's just sort of impossible. And so what they're doing is they're taking um, particular sets of information and giving you particular sets of information, excuse me, and giving you sort of an educated guess about where you probably have some ties to. Yeah, because my DNA changed like I think you did, hold on, I think you did one thing right by going to African ancestry Mm -hmm. as opposed to some of the others is because what African ancestry does, they do two things that the other big companies don't. Number one, they work with genealogists Mm. as opposed to just um, scientists deal with laboratory science. So that's the first thing they do right. And then African ancestry also doesn't sell your DNA. A lot of um, other big corporations tend to sell your information to Mm -hmm. Big Farm, um, which I think is a whole other political conversation that we won't um, get into right now. But I would just say, you know, in a nutshell, as we search for identity, you know, to me, you can know that you're 8% Irish and, you know, 92% Cameroonian all day. I'm Cameroonian. That's but, it. I am. Okay, so sorry. But that's <laughs> the one they always give I would much rather put my hands on deeds of land, um, mm-hmm. divorce records, um, mm-hmm. talk to my granddaddy, talk mm-hmm. to my great aunt. And mm-hmm. I, there's some disconnection, particularly with our generation, in understanding who we are. Um, we, we like to say that, you know, we're super excited about the Black Ariel. Um, yes! And, and make us conscious, right? But I think consciousness really lies with an intimacy 
with those persons that make you who you are. And so I don't know if being tied to a particular land, while that may have some value, I think that or I would encourage us, I'll just say my opinion, I think that it is more valuable um, to have an intimate knowledge of the spaces that you can actually see, feel, and touch through your immediate ancestry as opposed to, you know, the chemical results of a lab test. So everybody hit up the history consultants. I'm, I'm going to be putting in my bid tomorrow. Thank you. Right, that part. So... Thank you again, Dr. Pelham. This has been a great conversation. I know I learned a lot. So staying in the same vein of, because I feel like Dr. Pelham is in and of herself, and I am woman, hear me roar, uh, candidate. But the person we're going to talk about today is Coco Goff. Yeah, she lost today. But this 15-year-old girl is, I feel like she's the next generation of Serena and Venus. And Mm -hmm. Even when she beat Venus, like, she gave her her due and said, I would not have been here had you not been there to set the example for me. So I think it's great. I'm excited to see what she's going to do in the future Um, because she's the future of tennis, in my personal opinion. I think. So, again, this has been a great episode. Y'all learned a lot, Suge and KB? Of course. Anytime I, I sit down it. with Doc, I learn. So I'm I'm good. And I'm sober now. Yes. So I'm good. And Oh Lord, have mercy. I can't stay. And I need I need her. Wait, to help you fell my out. Doc fell out. <laughs> oh my gosh. So your ass still drunk. I'm looking at you. No, that look at that smile. <laughs> She's not sober. I, I smile at the sunshine sober. all the time because I'm the sunshine. Are you? Just because you're from the Sunshine State don't mean sunshine. They be Oh, wait, speaking of Sunshine State, so, Suge, I have to apologize to you because I did some research and I saw that Alabama is referred to as the heart of Dixie. (laughs) It used to be. It's Alabama the Beautiful. Right. No, but it's also called, like, the Yellowstone State or something like that. No, that's our state. Our state bird is like a yellow hammer. It's like right. A so it's the yellow hammer state. That's what I'm yeah. saying. So just like yeah. I said, Sunshine State, Palmetto State, oh, Alabama man. had to be some kind of state. It's the yellow hammer state. I want to. So I want to call you a name, but I I just vowed not to, and I'm not gonna do it. But you just had to like pull up old shit. Like I just I just want to <laughs> say that. Like. You couldn't I let it go. I gotta go back. And, well, you know what? Since we going back, I did what? see that movie. Dr. Pelham is like, she's trying to ease on out. I see that. I can't stand y'all. Wait, I did see that movie Death at a Funeral with Chris Rock. Oh, you did? I had to think about it. And y'all it came so to me since we since we right bringing up old funny? stuff. So right. off topic right now. I don't know about funny. It was I like to support black movies. That's what I'm gonna say, and I'm gonna leave it at that. Look Me and Herbie watched it. It wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. That's what I said. I like to support. I like to support. You know, black. I told him I'd be in the. What? Well, listen. I go to the Tyler Perry uh, movies by myself. Mm. It'd be five people in a thing, but I'm supporting. Mm. We creating our own Hollywood. Go. Thank you. So, listeners, thank you for joining us um, on the latest episode. If you want to connect with us on social media, 
You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Files. Also, if you would like to email us, you can do so at FemNoirFiles at gmail.com. And once again, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Fem Noir Files. Bye.